Well, would you open your Bibles and get a Bible right next to you if you don't have one? We are going to be in the Gospel of John, and so please open up to chapter 11. God's people are always to be about one thing above all others. You know what that is? You could say it in a variety of ways. Jesus, to be about God, to be about trusting him. But this morning we want to couch it in, there to be about God's glory. God is about his glory, and we are to be about his glory. You familiar with the prophet Isaiah? Do you remember his calling to serve the Lord as prophet? In Isaiah chapter 6, maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. God calls him in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. He said, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Why does he do that? Well, before he repented in verse 5 and was forgiven and cleansed in verse 7 of Isaiah 6, he had a vision of God, a vision of glory of God's throne. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, I saw the Lord seated, sorry, I'm going back to my old, old roots here, not with the ESV, seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. You know what seraphim means? Burning ones. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Because God is so holy that they can't be in his presence without it. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. He beheld glory, and thereafter he was committed to live for the glory of God. And we can say, wow, that's really cool. But I've never seen a vision of God on his throne. And for almost all of us, we will not see what Isaiah saw until it is our time to die, or the Lord comes back beforehand. But we're still commanded to live for the glory of God. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31? It says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. How do we do that then? What does it look like to live for God's glory? What does it look like when nothing seemingly flashy like a vision of the heavenly heavenly throne room has appeared to us yet? Well, we need to behold the one who lives for God's glory. So would you stand with me as we read John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go just to verse 16 this morning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. 
the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let me have a seat. You are probably familiar, and maybe if, you, if your eyes jumped ahead, that this is the build-up to one of Jesus' most amazing signs yet, raising a dead man. But before it happens, in the midst of the trouble of this life, before we see the brilliant display of glory, we need to know that Jesus lives for the glory of God. Behold Jesus living for the glory of God. Now, as we look at Jesus living for the glory of God, we should ask the question, how does this affect we who believe him? How do we live for the glory of God in Jesus before the miracle? First, we must wait for the glory of God. We're told some background information at the beginning of this passage that a man named Lazarus was ill. And he was related to two people who we might be familiar with from other gospel accounts, Mary and Martha. And you remember Martha? Martha's the one everybody remembers as being too distracted by serving to actually worship Jesus. She did get there, okay? Let's remember that, okay? That's not a full picture. And then there's her sister Mary who sat at Jesus' feet, who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume, as we're told here and as we'll get to later in the Gospel of John, wiping in a posture of the lowest submission, wiping his feet with her hair. But this, these sisters and this brother are in a crisis. Lazarus is sick, not just with like the sniffles, but significantly so. And so, and so picking up in verse 3, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And as we read that, we should ask, what is going on here? We must wait for the glory of God. <laughs> that raises an obvious question, doesn't it? Why must we wait? Why must we wait for God, for his glory? First, we must wait because death is not the end. Look with me at verse 3. The sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
Again, they wouldn't have just sent him, they wouldn't send him a message if he had just had the sniffle and would recover. No, they know that something as serious is going on. And look how they word it. He whom you love is ill. This is not manipulation, but this is an appeal based on reality. You love him, Jesus. He's sick. And implicitly, you should come because you can do something about it. But how does Jesus respond? Verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. Why does he say this? Later in the passage, Jesus says he, he knows that Lazarus has died, so it's not for a want of knowledge. So what does he mean? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that the illness is fatal. Or he does not say that the illness is not fatal, but he speaks of the trajectory of illness. Death is not what people, including Lazarus, are going to come away with from this illness. When trouble comes your way, church, you as individuals, us as a church, when trouble comes our way, do we see it only ending in the trouble? Only ending in death? Or because you trust Jesus who lives for the glory of God, do you see something else? What does he say? What are they to come away with? We must wait because God wants to display Jesus. Verse 4, again, this illness does not lead to death. It, this illness, is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Why is this illness here? Why does trouble come into our lives? Why must Lazarus get sick and die? These are big questions. The answer is simple, not easy. It's to reveal God's glory. Is this, <laughs> is this what you think of when something happens in your life or the life of someone you love that God intends to be glorified? Do you think that? Do you, do you believe that God intends to glorify his son? Do we believe that God has a bigger agenda that he wants to be known in us and through us that is greater than our hurts, greater than our trials, greater than our sufferings, greater than our inconveniences? Now you might be thinking, well, if he answers like that, doesn't he care about Lazarus? Doesn't he care about the grief that the sisters are enduring? How they've probably taken shifts washing, watching over Lazarus day and night, wiping his feverish brow, changing his bedding, praying fervently? Doesn't he care that we are feeling stress in this season? Doesn't he care? Implicit in those questions is the understandable but sinful assumption that if Jesus really cared, he wouldn't make us wait. But that's exactly why we must wait, because thirdly, we must wait because Jesus loves us. Let there, let, lest there be any doubt in our minds after reading it is for the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
the Apostle John is quick to write in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And he writes in verse 6 that because he loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How is that loving? First and perhaps most, or not most obviously, Jesus loves us so much as to not allow our desires and our timetable to dictate the actions of God. Though he is merciful and gracious to, as Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. The reality is, is we are not the greatest judges of what is best for ourselves or even for those we love. We are creatures, not creator. And second, his remaining two more days does not mean that he's not going to come at all. We should be very careful to glorify God and not write him off in impatience when he doesn't immediately give us what we want. South African pastor Andrew Murray once wrote, be assured that if God waits longer than you wish, it is only to make the blessing doubly precious. God waited 4,000 years till the fullness of time ere he sent his son. Our times are in his hands. He will avenge the elect speedily. He will make haste for ourself, for our help, and not delay one hour too long. We must wait for the glory of God. Jesus lives for the glory of God. We must wait. So how else, must we how else do we live for the glory of God in Jesus before the miracle? Second, and it's closely tied with the waiting, we must believe for the glory of God. We're going to jump briefly down into verse 14 because this is the outcome of the conversation that precedes it. Verse 14, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that what? So that you may believe. If Jesus lives for the glory of God and we must believe for the glory of God, what does this text say? We must believe for the glory of God. What must we believe? First, we must believe that Jesus walks in the light. Jumping back up to verse 7. Then after this he said, after he stayed two days, then after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You remember why Jesus left Judea? Jewish opponents were getting more and more hostile, and it wasn't his hour. So here he is outside of Judea, away from Bethany and Judea, and now he wants to go back in. And the disciples basically reason, are you crazy? <laughs> the people who want you dead, yeah, they're back there where you want to go. 
But what are they missing? What are the disciples missing? They're missing the reality that the light of the world is the one telling them, let us go to Judea again. And if they are with the light, if we are with the light during the daytime when things can be seen clearly, including the plots of the enemies, he and they and we are not going to stumble. In John, there is an hour that is coming for Jesus. And it is an hour of darkness when he will stumble under the weight of the cross and the Father's wrath against him for our sin. But before then, he is untouchable. And after his resurrection, we who believe him now walk seeing the light of the world. Secondly, as we believe, we also must believe that Jesus redefines death. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Do you hear how the disciples are talking? (laughs) They are talking as those afraid of death. They don't want to risk Jesus's or their own necks if Lazarus just needs to sleep it off. They're talking in unbelief. But Jesus is teaching them and us that we must believe something different about our death in Jesus. If we believe Jesus... Death is still a product of the fall of sin entering the world, but it says sleep. And we are promised, just like Jesus is promising, and promise, probably promising excitedly to his disciples, that Lazarus and us are going to be awakened from death to life as if from sleep. Just wake up and we'll see his face. Why? Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who lives for the glory of God. And when death is redefined in Jesus, man, we can, that changes a whole bunch of how we live. We no longer need to live in the fear of death. He wants us instead to believe. And we must believe, thirdly, that Jesus acts for our faith. Look at what he says to the disciples in verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly. Word picture has now been taught. Now plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Glad? Isn't that crazy? He just said that he was glad for their sakes, that he wasn't there right when Lazarus was dying. Why? It says it right in the text. So that they may believe. Jesus acts for our faith. That means that our faith, our trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, is a bigger deal to him than our friends dying, than us dying. Why? Because he can raise dead people as if from sleep. That's a piece of cake. 
But our eternity, your eternity, my eternity, hangs on whether we believe the sign of awakening Lazarus, whether we believe that Jesus himself laid down his own life and took it up again to take away our sin and God's wrath. That's the bigger deal. And believing isn't just for those who haven't believed before. He's talking to, you know, he's talking to his disciples, right? Who have believed all the way back from chapter 1 and 2. Jesus acts for our faith so that our faith in him grows. Let me ask this. If Jesus had shown up right when you wanted him to, and done exactly what you wanted him to when you faced a crisis or a setback or a tragedy, do you really think that your faith in Christ would be what it is today? If Jesus had just given us First Christian Church building when we first became aware of it and saw it as an opportunity to glorify him, would we really have grown in our faith through months of praying Conversations, wrestling with our own motives, emotions and preferences, rejection and counteroffer and business meetings. I certainly pray that all of that has impacted our faith because we're not through yet. But what a waste we would make it if we didn't believe that God wanted to act for our faith. If God was bringing us through that for our faith. A much bigger thing than buildings. We must believe for the glory of God. Jesus lives for the glory of God. But what needs to come next? There does come a time when the wheels start getting more traction, when God reveals glory in the forward motion. We must wait, we must believe, and thirdly, we must go for the glory of God. Jesus said back in verse 7, let us go to Judea again. And that threw the disciples into a tizzy. And after explaining to them what he intended to do, he says again in verse 14, let us go to him. Jesus lives for the glory of God, so he goes for the glory of God. How should we go in the, for the glory of God? The exactly the same way. First, we should go in faith. Look at verse 9 through 11 again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. We need a reminder that all Jesus does, he does in the most perfect trust and faith of God his Father. He said in John chapter 5, verse 19, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus knows who he is. Do we have any doubt that Jesus knows who he is? The light of the world and he knows the Father has given him the day to work and walk. So in perfect faith in his Father, Jesus goes to awaken Lazarus. Then he tells his disciples in verse 15, but let us go to him. 
So how do the disciples respond? Verse 16, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. I don't know about you, but I've thought about this, and even a commentary agreed with me that he's, he's like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. He's not exactly the most the faith-filled disciple that we expect. And this seems to fit for what people throughout the centuries have called him Doubting Thomas. But is he really doubting here? He's actually going in faith. Yeah, it's small. It's like the pin that holds the tail on Eeyore's body. But it is faith. I mean, think about it. He could disobey Jesus and say, no, you go ahead and go to your own death. Thomas and the disciples will do that later. He could remain away from Judea, away from the opposition, and remain where people were coming to Jesus in droves. But that wouldn't be faith. Faith doesn't stay away from Jesus. Faith is found with him. We should go in faith. Now what Thomas says next might be formed out of a sense of resigned misery that they are going to die at the hands of the persecutors in Judea. But he is highlighting something very, very important in the Christian faith and about the Christian faith. We must go for the glory of God. And how should we go? Not just in faith. We're going to need faith because we should go, secondly, to die. Let us go that we may die with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was executed for resisting the Nazis during the Third Reich in the 1940s. He wrote this in his powerful book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The road with Jesus is a road marked by death. Not just our physical death, but a daily death dying to ourselves, a daily dying to the flesh and its sinful desires, a daily dying and submitting our dreams, our preferences to him. Jesus even said it himself in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's a cross? An instrument of torture and death. Take up his cross and follow me. If you have not considered this in your walk with Christ, you need to stop everything you are doing right now and count the cost. But this is good news. We should go for the glory of God and we should go to die. How's that good news? Because Thomas didn't just say that we may die. He said... Even if he had not the best of motives, he said, let us die 
with him. Have you noticed that Jesus is going to be with Lazarus? Going to be with Mary? Going to be with Martha? And did you notice that even though he is only he is able to awaken Lazarus, he wants his disciples to be with him so that they may believe? All of the people in this story had to die to something. Philippians 2 said, Jesus who was in, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God to a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Jesus has already humbled himself. Mary and Martha had to die to the desire that Jesus would be right there, right then, to heal their brother. The disciples had to die to their desire to stay in the comfort of a place outside of hostile Judea. But who were they with? Who was coming to them? Who is with you if you believe? Jesus, who lives for the glory of God. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who lives for the only who lives only for the one thing worth living, living for what we were all designed for, the glory of God. And when the glory of God calls us to go, we must go for the glory of God. And that's where we're wrestling with as a church. In faith, with purchasing a new building, potentially moving, this is where we are, this is where we are at. What is for the glory of God? How can God be glorified? I think he has a lot of glory in store for this church. And he has a lot of glory in store for us if we act in faith. Not in what is comfortable, not in what has just been the status quo. But that means we have to go in faith and we're going to have to die. We must go for the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah saw the glory of God. He believed and he devoted his life to the glory of God. So what does that look like for us to live for God's glory? Seeing a vision of the throne room of heaven, I'm not going to deny it. It would knock my socks off. I would fall down on my face. But you know what? God has done us one better. God has revealed his son to us. He has given us the name by which we must be saved. And he has told us. He's not only recorded for us the vision that Isaiah saw that we get to read. He's told us this. And he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about this. He's talking about glory right now. Being born in the likeness of men, verse 8 of Philippians 2. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must wait for the glory of God. We must believe for the glory of God. We must go for the glory of God because we look to Jesus who lives for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you chose glory. Lord Jesus, thank you that you chose glory. And Lord, we ask for your help in our hearts, that our desires, our f- everything about us would be for your glory. Not for our glory, but for your glory. And so we ask for your help to humble us. That we would humble ourselves before you. We ask for your help to wait when the waiting seems painful. Help us to know that you are with us in the waiting. Help us to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to see the light of the world and walk in your light, Lord. And help us to go in faith. Help us to walk with you. And help us to understand that death is not the end and that our dying to ourselves and living for you is the best thing that we can do because it's for your glory. Please, 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 Lord, impress that in our hearts. Impress that in our hearts when we were having a crummy day on Tuesday. Impress that in our hearts. When something doesn't go the way we thought it should go. Impress that in our hearts when things are beyond our control. Impress that on our hearts when things seem to be in control. Lord, lest we be proud. Please, please glorify your name. Glorify your son through us. Reveal him to others through us as we live for your glory. Please do this, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.